Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. Join us on a sonic tour of the Golden State as we wander through majestic redwood groves, size up some spectacular hotels, and get the inside scoop on Sacramento's food scene. It all begins with Lonely Planet travel writer Allison Bing, who explains why this venerable media outlet calls California's Redwood Coast the number one place to visit in the United States. Allison, for her part, believes the trees have a magical quality. They have relatively shallow roots, but they intertwine and they grow to extraordinary heights, which to me is the best metaphor for what California makes possible for everyone who comes here. Travel and Leisure Editor-in-Chief Nathan Lump has stayed in thousands of hotels over the years. Today, he'll talk about a few of his absolute favorites in California. The rooms really make or break a hotel. You want your room to be fantastic, interesting, comfortable, a place where you feel at home. Plus, we'll talk with Sacramento Bee dining critic Kate Washington about her town's celebrated restaurant scene. It's all coming up on California Now. You're listening to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. What's the best destination in the United States right now? Well, it's a question that many travelers ask themselves when researching a trip. And it's a question that the editors of Lonely Planet ask themselves every year. In 2018, they decided California's Redwood Coast is the top place to visit in the U.S. of A. And our next guest, Allison Bing, is a Lonely Planet travel writer who knows the region well and will help us understand how it earned the honor. Welcome to the California Now podcast, Allison. Thanks so much, Satirius. Glad to be here with you. So how did Lonely Planet come to select California's Redwood Coast as the number one destination in the U.S.? Every year, Lonely Planet canvases Lonely Planet readers worldwide, but also uh, travel industry experts across the country and globally to identify what some of the most exciting upcoming destinations are. And by up and coming, we really mean places that are having a, a real moment. So whether it's that they're having a significant anniversary that's um, associated with a lot of festivities, or whether they're marking a really important time in their evolution as a destination, um, those things are taken into consideration, as well as actual traveler feedback. And what exactly does Lonely Planet mean by Redwood Coast? I mean, beyond the actual redwood groves, uh, does that include towns like Ferndale and Trinidad, as well as some of the secluded beaches you'll find up there? Absolutely. It stretches all the way from Sonoma County um, and even in Marin, where you'll find Mirror Woods, which is an attraction that's pretty widely known. Uh, It's a global attraction just north of the city. And it goes all the way up to the Jedediah Smith State Park up in Del Norte County. Wow. So you're really talking about a huge stretch of land, right, from just north (laughs) of San Francisco all the way up to Oregon, basically. Um, Who ultimately decides the winner. I mean, can you can you kind of put us in the room as the editorial team was considering the finalists? Well, I'm only in the room uh, at at the second to the last stage. So the um, ultimate decision is made by Lonely Planet's own editorial experts taking into a, a account all the advice and recommendations that they've been given. I'm, I imagine there's a lot of back and forth going on. Are, are there kind of like uh, does it does it does it come to fisticuffs at some point? 
It's it's a pretty heady, <laughs> heated conversation. Yeah. Um, even the penultimate conversations, which I have been in, um, have been uh, pretty exciting as people um, pitch for their for the destination that they feel is most worthy of the amount of attention that Lonely Planet can really shed on a destination. Did, uh, did you personally lobby for the Redwood Coast to be named number one? And if so, why? Yes, I did. Um, and, you know, of course, as a as an adoptive Californian, um, uh, the Redwoods are near and dear to my heart. The, the Redwoods um, uh, are like me as a, as a transplant. Um, they have relatively shallow roots, but they <laughs> intertwine and they grow to extraordinary heights, which to me is the best metaphor for what California makes possible for everyone who comes here. Wow, very poetic. You know, many of our listeners have only seen redwoods in pictures or maybe on TV. How would you describe the sensation of walking among these giants? Well, considering some of them are 20 stories high and the canopies uh, are filter light in this beautiful way. So um, you've got the speckled light coming through to the forest floor. And as you're walking along, the sound that you make is very kind of rhythmic and mesmerizing. And it's really a quiet place. It muffles all sound. So even in Mere Woods, which is not far from some pretty major roads, uh, it's so quiet uh, and it's an exciting um, sensation to just be surrounded by the sound of a little bit of wind in the trees and not much else. Right. I, I've heard actually that it is almost unsettlingly quiet at first because we're just not used to being in such a hushed atmosphere. And and I've read that is that that's because the canopy kind of makes it so shaded in the in the uh, in the grove that not a lot of plants grow other than the trees. So there aren't a lot of you know, little animals scurrying for, you know, uh, foraging for for uh, food, and there's not a lot of birds flying around. So you really are kind of surrounded in this bubble of silence. That's right. And you get the sense of prehistory because these are ancient trees. I mean, some of them are 2,000 years old. So uh, you really get a sense of this continuum of time. Uh, you can get a little bit lost in time. It feels as though you're time traveling. People imagine people zero um, AD uh, having that same sensation that that we're having now walking through these trees. Sounds pretty amazing. All right, let's switch gears for a second. Our, our listeners are always looking for help with their itinerary. So let's say an out-of-state visitor has arrived in San Francisco and wants to sample three distinct Redwood experiences in California. Where would you send them first and what advice would you give them? So the easiest one to get to, although it does take some advanced planning, is Mirror Woods. You do have to plan. There's now a shuttle service that um, uh, services the park because there's so many people who want to go there. So uh, just be advised that you have to plan ahead a couple of weeks at least. Um, especially in the busy summer season. Um, it is accessible for um, b- people with disabilities, and uh, so that is a, a real benefit. Uh, so everyone can visit um, multi-generational families. You see a lot in the Grove, and that's uh, a really kind of a special moment in Muir Woods as well. So with, with Muir Woods being so popular, is, is over-tourism a problem at, at this particular location? 
No, overtourism has really been managed by the fact that you do have to um, organize a, a shuttle in advance. So there's a limited number of people who can visit every day, and that's um, both for, so that everyone can enjoy it to the fullest, um, but also so that the trees have a chance to breathe and um, uh, do what they do naturally, uh, which is to grow and to reforest and um there is enough enough space and and quiet and room for them to do that. Um, the danger is with too many people going off paths that sometimes uh, roots get trampled on and that can be an issue. Um, but luckily, the um, there's been some foresight around this and the shuttle service makes it possible for everyone to visit without doing damage to the trees. That sounds great. Okay, where would you send people next and why? Well, a little-known spot that I love is in Sonoma County. Um, one of the reasons why we have so many wonderful old-growth redwood stands in California is that people made a real effort to save them even back in the 19th century uh, when there was a lot of gold mining going along, uh, going on. There was a lot of logging happening. That was the boom that came after the gold rush. Um, but when some people came and visited these old growth redwood stands that they had fully planned to cut down, uh, they had a change of heart. And Colonel Armstrong is one of those people. Colonel Armstrong Woods now is a testament to his um, change of heart. He had intended to come to California to become a logging baron, a lumber baron. And he decided um, when he saw these trees that they needed to be preserved for posterity. And this is before there was any park system huh. uh, to look after the trees. So he and his daughters lobbied f to the ends of their days to have the um, Colonel Armstrong Woods be given to the state in trust, in perpetuity, so that no logging would happen. Um, and in the end, they won, and we get to enjoy their forethought and foresight in wow. saving those magnificent trees. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So, so what makes the Armstrong Reserve different from, say, Muir Woods? So Armstrong Woods is a valley surrounded by um, uh, some higher elevation areas where you can go and, and hike and look down on the redwoods, which is a, a kind of a special experience. It also happens to be in the heart of the Russian River wine country. So you are surrounded by, not coincidentally, some of the best Pinot Noirs, um, which are, it's a really finicky grape. It doesn't <laughs> like a lot of sun. It doesn't like too much precipitation. And the redwoods have created the perfect ecosystem for Pinot Noir grapes to flourish. So you will, even if you've tried Pinot Noir wines elsewhere, you got to try them in the Russian River because the redwoods bring a little something special. Oh, interesting. Okay. How about a third awe-inspiring redwood experience anywhere in the state, whatever the distance? Well, uh, close to my heart, I want to say, is uh, the Redwood National and State Parks, which is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. And in Redwood 
terms, that's a uh, hundred feet of growth uh, that they've enjoyed since they've been preserved as one of the first redwood parks in the country. Um, and uh, it's close to my heart because I got married in uh, Lady Bird Johnson Grove oh, wow. last summer inside <laughs> a redwood tree. Inside a redwood tree. <laughs> inside, wow. Okay. You're a real diehard. Inside a redwood tree. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a, I'm a little bit of a redwood super fan. What can I say? <laughs> that sounds amazing. I mean, actually, all of the places you've described sound incredible. So, So what should I bring with me? on a Redwood Grove hike to maximize the experience? So some are more accessible than others. Lady Bird Johnson Grove, like uh, Mirror Woods, has uh, paved trails, so no problems there. And then some areas where you can duck off the trail, as we did in Lady Bird Johnson Grove, and and see what it's like to stand inside uh, a giant redwood that's been struck by lightning and uh, redwoods have incredible self-preservation mechanisms, so they burn from the inside out. So they create these chambers that are charred inside and look like they're still perfectly intact on the outside. Um, great for photo taking. Be sure to bring a camera. Uh, it's really tough to um, imagine the scale of a tree without picturing a person in a fo- uh, without including a person in a photograph. So bring a friend, bring some family. Um, these are really wonderful trips to take together and bonding experiences. Uh, again, you won't have much cell signal. So you're really going to be there <laughs> spending quality time with the people that you take. So think about that um, when you when you decide who to have as your travel partner. Um, I would also say bring some snacks. These are not uh, concession-heavy parks. Um, in fact, some of them really don't have any concessions much at all. Uh, Colonel Armstrong Woods doesn't. Um, just basic bathrooms. Um, if you want to camp, uh, some of the best places to camp up in Humboldt County are near the town of Trinidad. Uh, and there are some wonderful beach coves that are wooded and secluded where you can um, find some pretty great camping as well. If you wanted to stay in an actual Redwood Lodge, there's a place up in Crescent City where I stayed on my honeymoon called the Redwood Lodge. It's all built from a single tree that had fallen. Uh, and that's kind of great. It's got its 1950s kitsch, uh, but it's really a, a, a wonderful spot. It's pretty incredible that you could build an entire lodge from the wood from one tree. I mean, that just tells you how big these trees are, right? <laughs> that's right. Now, Allison, really great advice all around. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Travel writer Allison Bing has contributed to 52 Lonely Planet guidebooks over the years, sharing countless recommendations with readers across the globe. When she's not consulting on storytelling for brands such as Google and Apple, she writes stories on travel, art, and food for the BBC, NBC, Cooking Light, The New York Times, and others. As always, you'll find links and more information about everything we discussed today at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. You're listening to the California Now podcast. I'm Satirius Johnson. If you're ever in the market for a vacation recommendation, our next guest can probably help. Nathan Lump is the award-winning editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure and the editorial director of several other publications, including Departures. He's also extremely knowledgeable and passionate about hotels. In today's lightning round, we're going to put his expertise to the test. Welcome back to the California Now podcast, Nathan. 
Thanks, Sotirius. Great to be here. Yeah, you, you must have stayed in scores of hotels over the years. M- more than I can count, probably, uh, yeah, thousands. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so, so what do you look for when you first walk onto a property? I mean, how do you, how do you size up a hotel? I mean, for me, you know, obviously you're, you know, you're looking at the aesthetics of a place. I really, you know, care about design and that's important. I mean, you kind of soak in the location, figure out kind of how that feels. And then, you know, for me, like hotels, in some ways, the rooms really make or break a hotel, right? You you want your room to be um, fantastic, interesting, comfortable, a place where you feel at home. Um, and so um, that's also something that really I pay a lot of attention to. That makes sense. a lot of sense. Uh, okay, so for today's lightning round, we're going to toss a bunch of categories your way and ask you to name California hotels that fit the bill. So are you ready? Yeah, sure. Let's do okay. it. Okay. All right, here we go. Best splurge in California. Um, I'm going to go with Calistoga Ranch um, up in Napa Valley. Um, I was there really recently. Amazing architecture. The rooms are extraordinary, like indoor-outdoor living spaces. Um, and the environment is so beautiful. You're, you know, you've got tons of acreage around you. It's really, really quiet. So you're like in Napa where you've got all that great stuff, but um, you feel completely removed from it all. All right. What about best value? Um, I would say that um, actually in L.A., um, the Charlie, which is a hotel that not a lot of people know. It's in West Hollywood, and it's basically a collection of bungalows. Hmm. Um, so you basically get your own little bungalow with like, you know, and it's got kitchen and laundry. So it's good for longer stays if that's what you want to do. But um, it's a fantastic location. The rooms are really, are really sweet. Um, and it's never more than about 300 bucks a night, generally like um, in the twos. And that, I think, is a really great value. Yeah, especially for L.A. Uh, which California hotel can claim the best location? Um, I'm going to have to say Post Ranch Inn in Big Sur. I mean, it is a classic, iconic property. I mean, perched on the cliffside um, on the Big Sur coast. I mean, the views from that place are amazing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's, uh, that, uh, that gets that. How about the best oceanfront hotel in California? You know, it's sort of a contrarian opinion, but I would say Shutters on the Beach because, you know, to be, obviously, there are lots of hotels with spectacular oceanfront locations in California. But one of the things that I love is that you can be at Shutters in Santa Monica. You can be on the beach, but you're in a city. Um, and that, I think, to wake up to that view, like particularly if you're on a business trip, as I often am in L.A., like it's just such a it's such a treat. I love that. Where, where do you turn to for spectacular service? I'll stay in L.A. You know, the peninsula, Beverly Hills, for me, is got some of the best service of anywhere in the world. Like, those people take such good care of you. I mean, I have, I've stayed there a number of times, and I've had many things actually go wrong um, uh, <laughs> while I've been there not having anything to do with them. And they have saved my bacon a number of times, like, gotten me where I needed to go, got me a replacement belt, like, huh. all this kind of stuff. So they, they, <laughs> they do an amazing job. That's amazing. Uh, what about best weekend getaway? I mean, it depends, obviously, where you're coming from, but um, I love the Belmont del Canto in um, Santa Barbara. So particularly if you're coming from L.A., that's super convenient. Um, you know, um, kind of perched high above, um, you know, the town of Santa Barbara. Um, really, really beautiful views. But it's also like, you know, it has it's a it's essentially a bungalow resort. And um, so it has that real sense of privacy and coziness. Um, I think it's really charming. All right. Go big or go home. Best big hotel in California. I got to go with the Fairmont in San Francisco. I mean, you know, it's such an icon. I mean, if anybody, I mean, I'm dating myself, but if you watched the series Hotel back in the day, I mean, that was <laughs> um, modeled off of the Fairmont in San Francisco. I mean, gigantic lobby, tons of spaces, but it's got all these like quirky things, you know, um, if you've never been to the Tonga Room in the basement, like, a, you know, one of the world's greatest tiki bars. Um, it's, uh, it's, just, it's got a lot to offer, an amazing location on Nob Hill. And best small hotel? 
Southern California, I mean, I would say maybe the Lautner, um, you know, uh, in the desert. I mean, it's uh, I think it's got three or four rooms. Basically, it's in a Lautner house, um, which is extraordinary privilege to be able to stay in a, you know, in an iconic piece of architecture. But the interiors have um, been done like to a T in mid-century modern style. I mean, it is it is. it really, it's like living in a design magazine. It's really, um, it's really kind of amazing. Wow. Uh, and what about best design? Um, I love the new um, Nobu Ryokan in Malibu. Um, you know, it basically looks the. It looks like a, um, you know, it's like a Japanese inn, but it's on the beach in 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 Malibu. Um, it has such a cool Zen vibe to it. It's really unexpected. And one more for the social media crowd. What's the most Instagrammable hotel in California? I mean, I got to go with Madonna Inn in San Luis Obispo. You know, I mean, it is the it is like the kitschiest place on the planet. Um, and in a, you know, in a really fun way. I mean, you you post pictures of that place and, you know, that is um, Instagram gold. I mean, you're in like a, you know, a room that looks like a cave, you know, or a room <laughs> that looks like a like a like a pink uh, chateau fantasy. Like it's a it's yeah, it's um it, it's pretty wild. And I would say even the bar restaurant area is worth just a pit stop if you're passing by. The Madonna Inn's amazing. 100 percent. 100%. Not everybody wants to sleep in that. Um, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, you're totally right. <laughs> All right. I hope everybody was taking notes. Thanks so much, Nathan. Thanks, Atirius. Nathan Lump is the editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure, and you can find an endless supply of travel information and inspiration at his site, travelandleisure.com. And in case you weren't taking notes, you can find more information on all the hotels we discussed today at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. Remember, you'll always find links to all the people and places we mention on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. You're listening to California Now. My next guest is the dining critic for the Sacramento Bee and is an authority on California's farm to fork capital. Kate Washington has served as contributing writer at Sacktown Magazine, the local editor for the Zagat Survey's Guide to Sacramento Restaurants, and associate food editor at Sunset Magazine. We're going to pick her brain about where to go and what to order in and around Sacramento. Welcome to the California Now podcast, Kate. Thanks. Happy to be here. So, you know, earlier this year, Thrillist said that Sacramento is the best up-and-coming food city in America. The New York Times recently praised the city's craft beer scene and Travel and Leisure magazine raved about the incredible local bounty like the fruits and vegetables and all the other food produced in and around Sacramento, as well as the impressive collection of restaurants in uh, the city. Why is everybody so excited about the Sacramento culinary scene? Well, I think there has been a really strong rise in fantastic restaurants and all the things you just mentioned. It's been a really exciting trend to be here for. Um, One of the key factors is that Sacramento sits in the middle of 1.5 million acres of some of the very best farmland in the world. And we have amazing growers who are growing everything from almonds and walnuts to the juiciest tomatoes you'd ever want to taste. And our local chefs are really taking advantage of that bounty. All right. Well, let's unpack some of that. Uh, that that phrase "farm to fork capital" is something that gets tossed around quite a bit. What exactly does that mean? Well, I think it really means taking what is grown in those acres of rich farmland that I was just talking about and bringing them to the plate with an eye to 
really showcasing their best qualities and their best flavors, their natural flavors. Um, I mean, that's a key cornerstone of California cuisine, which goes back for decades. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of Sacramento chefs have been doing for a long time. But now the city is really taking taking that, running with it, and showing it off as a point of pride, as we really should. All right. Well, you know, people love lists, as do I. <laughs> so can you advocate for <laughs> three essential farm-to-fork restaurants in Sacramento, places that visitors should strongly consider on their next trip to town? Yes. Um, three that I would recommend would be Mulvaney's, which is um, run by Patrick and Bobbin Mulvaney. They are kind of um, oh, real stars of the local food scene. They've also nurtured a lot of other chefs. They do an incredible pork chop. It's um, The restaurant is charmingly in a historic firehouse, a brick firehouse. And if any of your listeners saw Lady Bird, that firehouse used to house New Helvetia Coffee, which was a midtown favorite going way back. And it's where Lady Bird was supposed to work at the coffee shop. Um, But now it houses Mulvaney's and it's a really, um, really friendly, a little bit quirky, accessible to everybody. Everything I've ever had there is delicious. And they also have a beautiful patio that's great for the almost nine months of like warm evenings for dining outside that we can get here in Sacramento. Yeah, I've heard wonderful things about Mulvaney's. It's definitely on my list. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm I'm definitely uh, at the top of my list. Okay, what's another farm to fork favorite? Next, I would say Ella Dining Room and Bar, which is downtown um, at 12th and K Streets. It is um, run by the Selland family, who have a number of local restaurants. Um, Josh, Josh Nelson, one member of the family, was really instrumental in creating and pushing forward the Farm to Fork movement as kind of a brand for the city of Sacramento. It's a really great um, special occasion restaurant, but you can also go there and sit at the bar and get oysters or bone marrow. Um, They do a lot of um, uh, interesting cocktails. Their menu changes seasonally, as do all of the places I think that I'm going to mention. But they're a real standby of fine dining in Sacramento and, and not to be missed. Yeah, I've been to Ella uh, quite a few times, and I have to say the 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 not only is the cuisine just so fresh and amazing, but the vibe is very relaxed, and it's it's just a wonderful place. Yeah, it's relaxed, but it also feels special to me, which is Absolutely. what one of the things I like about it. Um, a thing to watch out for if you go there is. Um, Take a look around and peek up. Um, they they did some really nice things with the design, and they imported a bunch of vintage shutters from Europe, and they're beautifully used, like around the upper portions of the restaurant, um, up above on the walls. And you you wouldn't necessarily notice, but it's a fun thing to keep your eye out for. the The design okay. there is quite pleasant too. All right, and what about the third? Um, for the third, I would mention a newcomer, Canon. That's C A N O N, not with two ends like the gun. Um, it is the brainchild of Clay Nutting, who is a local restaurateur, and Brad Chakey, who's the chef. He um, is 
a Sacramento native who left after his culinary training and went and worked other places. He worked, um, he helmed the kitchen at Soul Bar in Calistoga, um, which had a Michelin star. So he has some really high-end fine dining experience, but he's come home and he and Clay Netting have opened this um, restaurant in East Sacramento, which is a neighborhood just outside of the downtown core, but very easy to get to for visitors. Um, And their place uses a lot of interesting global flavors, does some really interesting things with vegetables. One of my favorite things there is an enormous um, pickled vegetable platter that, you know, you wouldn't think, oh, pickled vegetable plate, it doesn't sound necessarily that interesting, but they present it on crushed ice and it's absolutely beautiful. It looks like a party on this huge platter. And they they change up what the vegetables are seasonally, but it's visually stunning. The place is um, has a great bar, has another great patio. They do a really great brunch. Um, and yes, of course, they have avocado toast, but it has crab on it and it's really delicious. So that's a, a favorite. All right. Excellent. I think we've checked off the uh, farm to fork box, but I'm pretty sure there's <laughs> a lot more to discuss. What's another culinary category that Sacktown does really well? Sacramento has a hugely diverse immigrant community, and those communities have brought their flavors and all of their amazing cuisines to Sacramento. And we have a th- incredible thriving Vietnamese cooking scene, Mexican, of course, there's great Korean restaurants. um, And a kind of a newer trend is a blossoming of Middle Eastern and halal restaurants. Uh, We have an enormous refugee population here in Sacramento. And some of uh, that cuisine is really starting to become a lot more available and really delicious. All right, let's let's talk about some of the uh, the ethnic food that's available in Sacramento. I'm I'm still kind of exploring the Vietnamese cuisine, which I'm I'm really realizing maybe one of my favorite ethnic cuisines out there. Um, I've recently come across mm-hmm. a restaurant called Kam uh, Tam Dat Tan in Little Saigon. Uh, do, do you happen to know that place? I do. I reviewed it not too long ago. The broken rice plates place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, They've got I amazing dishes. Yeah. Um, And I think for, you know, travelers who are up for a little travel outside of the downtown core, driving down Stockton Boulevard, which is the heart of the Little Saigon neighborhood, and just stopping in at some of the markets, at some of the restaurants, checking out what's out there is such a great way to spend a few hours in Sacramento. And it gives you a side of Sacramento that many casual visitors might not see, but is that a really that is a really thriving part of the city and of the culture. Another place I really love there is Quan uh, Nem Ninhoa, which is like roll your own spring rolls with a grilled Vietnamese sausage and like a tiny little crunchy, um, slender, like pencil thin egg roll inside. But you get the rice paper wrappers to roll fresh rolls with the vegetables and so on. And that place is great and an incredible value also. You know, you mentioned halal earlier, and mm-hmm. so so what what can what can people find here? And is, is it is it mostly cuisine from a certain country or a certain part of uh, the Middle East, or what? What exactly? What are the highlights of the halal cuisine? 
Right. There are a number of different um, different options, I guess. Um, we in in Sacramento, there have been a lot of there are strong refugee communities from Afghanistan and Iraq, as well as other areas of the broader Middle East. Um, but I'm really excited about some of the more Iraqi leaning restaurants. A lot of the restaurants that are opening that are Middle Eastern are are kind of pan Middle Eastern. You know, they don't they don't claim one particular identity, but if you start asking a few questions, you can find out, you know, what the what their what their real specialties are. So one um Fulton Avenue, which is a little bit on in the eastern um fringe of the city has a lot of these restaurants. Um, one I really loved is Mediterranean Kitchen and Bakery, which is a very simple name, but they are turning out breads as you go in there. They have a huge bakery. They do a um, they do like a, a lamajun, a flatbread topped with ground lamb that is fantastic. Um, they also do a um, these crescent-shaped kind of pillowy Iraqi breads called samoon that are delicious, um, but it's just a great place to sit down and have a meal. You know, a great thing for a visitor to do, um, one of the real strengths of, of Sacramento that is not culinary is um, our riverside parks along the American River, and there's a big, big, beautiful bike trail. And if you're out that way and wanting to have a picnic by the river, I really um, recommend stopping off at a place called Babylon City Market, which is near some of the, the parks that are along the river. They have amazing lamb shanks. They have great, you know... Um, kebabs, and they also have a lot of the fresh breads. Um, just a really delicious way, delicious and maybe a little different way to get a great picnic and a, a Sacramento experience that's maybe a little off the beaten track. How would you characterize the chef community in Sacramento? Is it a proving ground for chefs looking to, you know, move on to LA or San Francisco? Is it, Or is it really a, a place that chefs view as, as a final destination? Well, I'm sure that varies, you know, tremendously by chefs. But one of the really interesting things that we've seen um, and that I think has really spurred on the restaurant scene here is a trend of chefs actually coming home and seeing this as their final destination, you know, that they did go off to Sacramento or sorry, to San Francisco or to another destination um, that was maybe seen as more cutthroat or competitive. And they cooked there and they realized, you know what, like I can get great ingredients. I can be maybe near family, have a little slower pace um, for raising a family. We've got a lot of, of thriving, like younger generation of chefs who are home and I think kind of here to stay. Well, that's really nice to hear. Of course, great food goes well with great drinks, and Sacramento has a has a solid reputation for both coffee and beer. Is that reputation deserved? I think so. Um, I think the the coffee story here is really really interesting. One, um, I, I actually wrote uh, some in depth stuff about the coffee scene a couple of years ago, and one of the things that I learned was that Sacramento has been a coffee town from the very beginning, and in fact, a lot of the big everyday household names of coffee brands um, were 
started by failed gold miners who came through Sacramento and then started roasting coffee um, to huh. sell to the miners. <laughs> um, so it's been like a place where, where coffee has been important for a long time. Um, we now, instead of, you know, gold miners, our local roasters are winning gold medals uh, in national competitions. Um, a great example of that is Temple Coffee, which um, started with they started with uh, one location, but they now have several around the city and a really big roastery. So, you know, if you want to go and drink a great single origin espresso or a great cold brew, um, I really love their location at 22nd and K Streets in Midtown. They they put in a floor that's all pennies. So it's like hmm. a glazed floor of copper pennies in all their different hues. Wow. It's beautiful. It's a really lovely space to sit and sort of soak up some atmosphere um, and get a nice jolt of caffeine. Wow. You know, I'm taking so many notes here. It's kind of crazy. So many intriguing <laughs> recommendations. But before I let you go, there are two places in particular I've also been meaning to get to. The Tower Cafe and Biba. Do you have any thoughts on those two spots? Yes. Those are both like stalwarts of the scene. Um, the Tower Cafe is really known for its brunch. It's a very eclectic um, feel when you go inside. Like there, you'll see like global, like imported things from all over the world and bright colors. And there's a beautiful patio with kind of tropical plants around you. It's named because it's right there um, next to the Tower Movie Theater, which um, is a great landmark and a great place to take in, um, take in a movie. It, and also, right at the site of the original Tower Books and Records stores in Sacramento on Broadway. Right. Um, like the original one. The original original. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, Tower Records was founded in Sacramento. And in fact, one hotly anticipated new element of the dining scene is a deli that's going in downtown that's named for the founder of Tower Records, uh, Russ Solomon. And then Biba is um, a restaurant in Midtown at on uh, Capitol at about 28th. They've been there for a very long time. Um, they were one of the original, original Sacramento greats. Um, Biba, uh, her name is Biba Caggiano. She had many cookbooks, um, has many cookbooks out. She is originally from Italy. And when she married and came here with her husband, who I believe was a doctor, and she missed the, the food of her native northern Italy, and she set out to cook it. They're known for their lasagna, which they don't make every day. So you'd want to look up like when that's available. Um, the handmade pastas, um, but it's going to be kind of a classic. I believe she's from Emilia Romagna, and it's going to be classic Northern Italian cuisine that is a little bit of a taste of of an older and maybe slightly gentler, um, you know, Sacramento dining scene, but well worth exploring. Well, I don't know about anybody else, but uh, I'm pretty much ready to put down my microphone and make some reservations. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today, Kate. Oh, thank you. Kate Washington is an essayist and writer and the dining critic for the Sacramento Bee. You can find links to her writing at kawashington.com, and you can find links to all the restaurants we discussed today at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please subscribe. 
Today, Nathan Lump shared some of his favorite California hotels, and he zeroed in on some truly spectacular properties. If you're in the market for luxury lodging, do yourself a favor and check out the Luxury Minute video series. Each 60-second piece highlights an over-the-top hotel, including resorts in San Diego County, Orange County, Palm Springs, Napa, and Sonoma. You'll find the Luxury Minute series on YouTube and also at visitcalifornia.com slash dream365tv.